Welcome to Between the Stacks, a podcast presented by the Athens-Limestone County Public Library. Each episode brings you into the library to meet our collection of people making an impact on the community of Athens and Limestone County, Alabama. Hello and welcome to Between the Stacks. My name is Alice Pitleaf and I normally am behind the scenes doing podcasts, but today I'm going to talk to some people about genealogy. We do have a program here at the library. It's every other Thursday morning, and the two teachers that teach that class are with me today, Pam Hertenstein and Brenda Calvert. Did I get it right? Yes. Okay. I think it's important on a genealogy program to get the names right. Yes. Don't you think? I do. Okay. I know that you guys have been doing the class for a couple months, I guess. And when I was looking on the website, there's a flyer or an advertisement that I'm just going to read it because I just want you guys to explain what you mean by it. It says, it's not just about your ancestors. It's about you. You are part of history. The best part of genealogy is that it helps people discover their own specialness. So I think that's a great quote. And um, who wants to talk about it? I'll talk about it. I I love that quote. Um, Genealogy is not just about finding your ancestors. It's about yourself. It gives you a sense of identity. It builds resilience. It um, forms a connection. Uh, it increases your self-worth. You know about your family and, and your roots. And I just want to just share this little quote that I found when we were getting ready for this. Um, it's a quote, Our family history goes beyond the names and dates we find in our tree. It's about what makes us who we are. It's about with whom we can form deep connections. It's about people who lived and breathed and suffered and triumphed. It's about roots and branches and leaves and entire forest. And it's all about us. And I just, I love that. Um, and I guess the one thing Brenda and I both feel, family history can be very healing. Um, you can find lost relatives. Uh, you can find biological parents that you didn't know about. And I think that's why we're so passionate about sharing family history. It's just the, from the healing aspect of it, too. That's interesting because it's not just people on a piece of paper, right? right? You actually feel something when you discover or if you're just connecting with other family or just talking with other family members. That in itself helps build family relationships, I imagine. Absolutely. I mean, you can just find out so much about it. Like you said, it brings brings you closer to those that are living as well as finding out about those that are that have deceased. And it's important, I guess, because you can't wait, right? If you're going to talk to your relatives and they're getting older, it's something to do sooner than later. That's one of the hardest things you have to face is that you were going to go see Aunt Sue. You were going to ask her about the family, and you never got around to it. There was just too much going on. And then one day you find Aunt Sue's gone. Yeah. And with her, a world of, of knowledge. With all those precious little stories, I'm very into the stories of, of what the people did. And I encourage, and Pam does too, our students in the class to write stories about each one of their relatives and put it down so that the future can read about them, understand them. Those poor folks that were in the hill country of Tennessee on a rocky farm and had 
a dozen children, what they went through to make sure those kids grew up. And uh, there's a way to preserve that, and Pam can explain that to you. Well, before we get into that, how did you both personally get into genealogy? I can start off with it. When I was about 16, my father's mother died when he was 18 months old. And all he had of her was a beautiful portrait that hangs in my living room. I wanted to know about this girl. She wasn't but about 19. I wanted to know about her. So to do that, I had to start asking relatives, her brothers and her sisters. And I started making notes. But at 16, I didn't know anything about family group sheets and how you could put it down. So I just made notes. And then from there, over the years, it ended up in 1980 is when I got very serious about genealogy and started working and found all this wonderful information out there. So now she's very much alive to me. That's great. What about you, Pam? For me, I um, I never knew anything about my family. I knew my mother's parents, mm-hmm. and that's about it. I never knew my biological father, so I just started having this incredible urge to, to find out. I just felt, I guess, lost is a word for it. But I, I started in 2016. And I started looking for my father, and since then, I have found pictures of him. He's he's deceased now. Pictures of him, pictures of my grandparents, my great-grandparents on his side. So, you know, for 60 years, I grew up not knowing anything and not even having a face to associate with a grandmother on his side of the family. So, But now I have pictures, and it's... Again, it's very healing. Wow. Are you connected with any of his family? I have found family members. Wow. That's great. I mean, that you were able to, you know, fill a void, right? Yes. Fill a void in your life. Yes. Well, I know you talk about, Brenda started a long time ago. You're a little more recent. Mm -hmm. So the difference between genealogy yesterday, so to speak, versus today and more technology era, has it made it? a lot simpler or has it made it just too much information kind of not really if you look at it from the right standpoint one of the things that i did at 16 was nobody was interested in genealogy uh you could talk to the elders in the family and they'd give you some information but nobody was interested in seeing who was the great great granddaddy or what had happened in the family But in the 80s when I started, I could not believe what all there was available. You could go to a family history center at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and if you needed a particular microfilm, they could order it for you. You could look at it as long as you needed to and send it back. You could come here to this library. In fact, I found one relative where he was born and all right here in this library, Wow. With a microfilm. And then from there, you had websites on the Internet in the 80s. It was just so much more information I learned about. Courthouses, archives, libraries, and all that stuff. And stuff just started unfolding. And now it's unbelievable. Ancestry has 30 billion records for you to look at. And, And then the family search has almost the same amount, if not as much. And these people are adding millions a day to the records. How are they doing that? They have volunteers. And the family search folks, they go to courthouses and take pictures of records. In fact, they came to the archives here 
and took pictures of the books and things to get information because that was way back in the day. And uh, that's what they do. They go out and get the records, take pictures of them, or they have people in those countries set up so that they can, and they send it in to them. And then if they need to, they have volunteers that will interpret. And the volunteers are from what organization? They're church members, lay people in the community, whoever wants to volunteer to help. No, but the umbrella that's getting them into the databases. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints does that. And Ancestry is doing the same thing with their people. They're going out and finding these records. Ancestry and and, uh, Family Search work very much hand-in-hand. Okay. I wish somebody would talk about the different resources online the best ones what's worth it is i know that if you go on ancestry you can get a subscription we have it here at the library of course the library edition but they're always you know saying but if you want to see this record there's a price so what are good sources resources out there um i can address that and i'll let brenda jump in if i miss something but uh some of the best online resources are things like well, you mentioned Ancestry, and you have the library edition here. Uh, Family Search is another great tool that we use. So in our class, we use both Ancestry and Family Search because between the two of them, there are just billions upon billions of records. And with Family Search, the students can build a free tree. A lot of them come in not having a tree online. So we use that so they can, can get a tree. But um, other ones are uh, My Heritage and Find My Past. They're both great sites for tree building. Um, but newspapers.com is wonderful. Are these all subscription? They're all, you, what's free? Family Search is a nonprofit. And it's free. So everything is free and always will be. But My Heritage, Ancestry, Find My Past, uh, they all require subscription, and you'll you'll pay. I'm not sure how much they are, and it probably depends on the type of subscription. And again, we we do have Ancestry at the library. We don't have, I don't is it newspapers.com? Dot com. That's a subscription? That's a subscription. Uh, Find a Grave, that's free. And Billion Graves, that's free. Uh, Fold 3, that's a military site. That is not free, though, right? That's not free. You pay for that. Uh, we will say that the Veterans Museum now has Fold 3 available to the public. You don't have to pay anything. You can go there and do your research on ancestors that were in the military. Here in Limestone County, right? Yes, here in Limestone oh. County. But, I mean, all over the U.S. If they served in the military in the U.S., you can find them on Fold 3. And that covers the Revolutionary War, War of 1812, Spanish-American the Mexican War, World War One, and World War Two. So those are some great sources, free ones, subscription ones. I think where sometimes people have trouble, and myself included, when they start to get on these sites, is just the navigation of them. You know, you type in your family name and mm-hmm. nothing comes up. But you know there's got to be something there. Is there something I'm doing wrong? Is there something that I'm not searching in the right way? Sometimes less is best. A last name is better than a full name a lot of times. And why is that? Because there's just too much of it. And if you can get your last names and then you look at them and find the one you're looking for, it sometimes will come up better. It just 
What is the bottom line on that? Don't know, but you just hear it all the time. Less is sometimes best. You don't need to go and put all this information in because then you don't know exactly how they're listed. You know how you listed them. So if you start off with a little and build, then sometimes you can find it better. Is that true even with military, pension records, things like that? Sometimes it can be. Mm-hmm. But just like with uh, Fold 3, if you had an ancestor named Miller, you know how many Millers served you know, in the war between the states alone, just gobs of them. And there was more than one John Miller. So they'll show them to you, but then you need to know enough about him, like birth date and death date, so that you can actually zero in on him. You have to be pretty diligent. You have to have a lot of patience. You do. You have a detective's mentality. That's what you have to have with genealogy. So do you personally have any, like, aha moments or students that, you know, they see something that Mm -hmm. they never thought they would? Yeah, I was working with um, an African-American lady, and she was looking for her great-grandfather. And she had been searching for him for years and just kept hitting brick walls, not able to find anything. And during the class that I was helping her with, she was able to find him. And she sat in class and just cried. And, of course, I was crying and Brenda was crying. But she was so happy. That's what makes it worthwhile for us is to see the faces of the folks in there when they find something. And they, they'll they come back into class with just all excited. You aren't going to believe. You aren't going to believe what I found this week. And you think it's worth it. Right. I'll say this Go real ahead. quickly. You've got to have patience, and you have got to want to do it for it to succeed for you. And when you keep hitting a brick wall and you think, I can't do this anymore, I'm just, yeah, give up. Give up on that name. Go pick you out another one and start on another person in your tree. That's what keeps you fresh. That's what keeps you going. Then in six months, come back to that one, because by that time, something may have been published somewhere or something, and you're off on it again. I guess that's true because, you know, you've got two parents, and then they've got parents, and it seems like it's infinite. Yes. Well, you run into people. thousands in just a few generations. Right. Thousands. But think about it. I'm overwhelmed. Every, every grandparent... <laughs> had a parent, and each one of those parents had a parent, and each one of those had a parent. So it just multiplies. So I want to get back to how a typical class is, but you're kind of reminding me of, you know, there's so many names. I've had an aunt and an uncle who were very much into genealogy. But uh, my aunt had just boxes of things, and I still have yet to really know what to do with them. I can tell you what to do with it. Okay. First of all, don't look at the big picture. You can't eat an elephant. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Take one box. Get your surnames out of that box. Put a stack of this surname, a stack of this surname, and a stack of this surname till you get all the papers looked at and you've got all your surnames in stacks to themselves. Then when you get them all lined up, then choose the surname you want to start with. And then if you've got your tree started, go in and see if they're in the tree. See if the information she has is what's in the tree. By tree, you mean? Your family tree. Your family tree. That website you're mm-hmm, talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've got to have a website. You've got to be on have a family tree. You've got to. You need to start with yourself. And that's one of the first things we tell people to do is you put your name in it, your birth date and death date. Then you put 
if you have a husband, you put him in. Now, oh, forget about him. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, seriously, you know, some people don't want to do it. They tell him, your name's in here so you can do it now. But then you go to your parents and you put them in and you put your siblings in. And then you go to the great and you put them in and their children. It's very important that you fill in the blanks as you go. Right. I think... When people receive these papers, their family papers, I think they feel like they're so cherished. They don't want, like you said, separate them. They want them to preserve them as they are. But you're saying break them up in order to make them useful. If these are are loose sheets especially, you need all the Smiths in one stack and all the Calverts in another stack. Because if you've got it together, you're going to be looking through here, and here's something on the Calverts, then here's something on the Smiths, and here's something on the Joneses. And you're spinning your wheels. Right. So you need to keep the families separate. But the catch is you've got to concentrate on that one line to be successful. You can't look here and, oh, here's a Jones. Let me run over here and I'll check this out and see what I can find. No, stay focused. And as you progress through this, write down what you have researched because in six months you don't want to go back and be looking for the 1850 census when you've already looked at it and couldn't find them. I was world's worst about that. Go back and I'm redoing what I've already done. So you do a research sheet that lets you know where you've been. So you don't go back and redo. Right, that, that's a good point. But uh, for a library or an archive, when they bring in those boxes, it's nice if they have separated for you. But if they don't, those are great uh, loose-leaf files for people in the community to come in and look at. And I have found a wealth of information in them. I was looking for a third great-grandparent. Couldn't find him anywhere. Went to the Pulaski archives, and I looked at the folders. There wasn't anything in there of my people. But I was kind of bored. I had some time left, and I thought, well, he's got about 10 or 12 more folders here. They weren't even marked. They were just folders he had laid on the shelf. And I picked them up and started looking, and about the third folder I opened was a Whitfield. And that was my third great-grandmother and grandfather with their will, which listed every child that they had and what they left that child. So loosely folders in a library or an archive are very precious. We do have family papers here. We definitely have them here in our files. I mean, that's a great moment. Yeah. Because I walked out of there with everything I needed to put that family together. Well, that brings up something like there's online research, Mm -hmm. and then there's drilling down to coming to your local archive or to your local library, and it sounds like they work in tandem. What can you get locally? Like you just explained what you got. Could you have found that online? I didn't know where to look. I had looked. You see, I had their daughter's name. She was my great-great-grandmother. I had her name, but I didn't know where she, her father. I had not been able to find her in a census record. So you didn't know a location at all? I didn't know if she came out of the Carolinas or Virginia or Tennessee or what. What are the odds of that? Hey, it just (laughs) happens. It just happens. It's a wonderful thing. I can share a story. I um, was looking for my great-grandfather and his wife, and I couldn't find anything. I was trying to find her name just to verify that that's who she was, and there was nothing online. And I do a lot of research in Mississippi, and um, I was able to go to Greenville, Mississippi, to the courthouse, 
And there I was able to find their marriage certificate. I knew that's where he lived, and I was down there visiting cousins, but I just took a chance of going to the courthouse, and I was able to find their marriage certificate. I was able to find uh, you know, who attended his wedding, who oh. witnessed. I, I saw his signature. I saw my great-grandmother's signature. Oh, wow. And that wasn't online. Later, it was indexed, and with that, you just see what is on the piece of information that you're looking for. It could just have like their name, the date, but I was able to see firsthand and see who else was there. And so it's, it's worth sometimes you have to get out and, and get off the computer, get off the computer and just go search. You have to do the walking. One of the things I tell our class is that people move, records don't. And that's very true. If you look at a county, for instance, I use Giles County as an example, the parent county was Murray. So if you find your family in Giles and you look, but you can't take it any further back, you need to know the parent county. Then you go over into Murray County and you start looking because when they lived there, the record stayed. What's a parent county? What does that mean? Well, for instance, um, Murray County was a great big county. They wanted another county, so they took part of it and part of some others and made Giles County. They did that back in those days. So you want to look around that county. You want to check the surrounding counties that touch it and see if they possibly lived in one of them. And if they did, the courthouse may have the records. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So people move. Records don't. What are the difficulties in your classes that you come up with African Americans? Their records are more difficult to find. How do you address that? Well, this Access Genealogy, it's a good website to go to. It it does Native Americans as well as enslaved persons. How do you access that? That's the name of it. Just Access, A-C-C-E-S, second words, genealogy.com. And is that free? It is. And then there is a group of papers that have come out in the last few years called the Plantation Papers. There are a couple of books, I think they run about $70 a piece, that have the index to those plantation papers. And what the plantation papers are, are papers that usually the wife of the plantation owner kept the books Mm -hmm. for the plantation. So it has community gossip in it. It has the names of their enslaved people that they had and their ages. And their children. And their children. Mm -hmm. Any of their enslaved people would be listed in those plantation papers sometimes. Also, there are censuses. I'm going to use an example, so don't quote me that it'll be there, but like the 1850 census. Sometimes they also did a census of the enslaved people separately. And particularly the 1870 census Mm -hmm. did that. What is that separate census called? It was just the census that went along with the uh, federal census. It's searchable, though. Mm -hmm. Yes, Mm -hmm. particularly on Mm Ancestry.com and Family Search. Mm -hmm. You can can search those. And it's just the 1850 and 1860 federal census slash slave slave schedule. Mm -hmm. That's what it's called. Can African Americans, do they have local records? I was looking last night at a county up in Tennessee, and they had a whole section for African Americans including pension records. There is more information coming out all the time for people who had ancestors that were enslaved because they want to know too. Right, right. Anything about military or pension records that you want to talk about? 
I can talk a little bit about it. Um, the National Records Center is located in St. Louis, Missouri, and that's where all the veterans' records were stored. And in July of the 12th through the 16th of 1973, the building caught on fire, and it started on the floor where the Army was located, the Army records were located. And between 16 and 18 million records were burned that day, 80%. It took three or four days to get the fire out. And then after it was out, the building had been covered in tons of water, and now they had a problem with mildew. So that kind of stopped everything. Now, the Air Force survived a little better. About 75% of their records was destroyed from A through G. I was able to obtain a Navy record without any problem because I don't think the Navy records were hurt. But those folks, what they did was they put out feelers immediately for anybody that had military record information to bring it in so they could have a start. And then they started working on the scorched papers and the wet papers. And what dates did it cover? It covered November the 1st, 1912 to January the 1st of 1962. Okay. That was what was hit. But it's it's up and running. They have worked diligently to save as much as they can and to recoup as much as they can. So it's very worthwhile to Google the National Records Center and see. And a lot of folks want to know their dad and mom's military records so that they can put it in the genealogy stories. And I think they may have opened the doors to the public again this year. What about, um, okay, I went to Charleston years ago in my 20s, and I knew nothing about my ancestry at that time, and I was visiting a friend. So you do the typical, let's go downtown and see the sites or whatever, the old part of town, and I got this eerie, not bad feeling, a kind of a good feeling, kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling in a way, and I uh, took a lot of pictures and of the old houses and whatever, and then later my uncle, who was into genealogy, was talking about his great aunts, talking about their ancestry off an island in South Carolina. Then I go, okay, well, that's interesting. So I go to the Latter-day Saints Library. I find a 1790 census of my great-great-great-great-grandmother who lived in downtown Charleston wow. and her father who lived on an island off of South Carolina. So I did find those records thanks to the Latter-day Saints people. And it was extremely, like you say, very overwhelming almost, you know. And so I'm just wondering, is there like a DNA connection? Like I felt so connected to the city. Yes, you can put this in or you can leave it out, but I'm going to tell you. (laughs) I had a college professor once that said if he could line up every one of your ancestors, he could find your eyebrows, your eyelashes, the shape of your nose, your lips, and everything because you've inherited Mm -hmm this DNA through them that makes you who you are. And he said, I don't think these folks that think they can go back and visualize themselves in a plantation home or on a ship or anything. He said, I don't believe in that. He didn't believe in reincarnation is what he was. But he said, you inherited your DNA Mm -hmm. from your ancestors and memory can be involved. So what if this is memory that you've inherited? He said, I think it's memory that you've inherited. Well, I don't know. I don't know these places. They were not familiar to me, yet they somehow were right. in a strange way. You felt way. at peace there. I felt Good. looked after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, who knows? Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
But along with that, speaking of DNA, 23andMe, Ancestry, do you guys like that? Is that something you do yourselves? You think oh, it's I, a... I have, you have to. Yeah, I, I've done my DNA. I mean, that's a topic that could take like two or three podcasts. But I mean, we both had our DNA done. Um, I found out some more things about my family. I found out that I have a half-brother wow. from my biological father. So, you know, it, it depends on what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. They talk about, you know, you can find out if you're a Viking. You can find out who you're descended from. But you can also find out your near relatives. Yes, they have it broken down. I mean, like on Ancestry, your your full siblings, or it could be your first cousin, second cousin. So they have it broken down by cousins. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've reached out for from several and have found a lot of information. I've gotten pictures of my ancestors from reaching out to those Cousins. Did, did, not to plug it one or the other, but did you do Ancestry or 23andMe? Or those seem to be the two that crop up. I did Ancestry, and then I also did my mitochondrial DNA through Family Tree. And I did oh. Ancestry. And it it's safe. that The site that you do will protect your... Well, that's one thing protection. a lot of people are worried about, the privacy. What are they mm-hmm. going to do with this information? So They're not going to do anything. Now, bear me out, Pam. If you took your DNA from Ancestry and went to another website, I think you lose that privacy because they're not going to protect you. They didn't do it. Right. You brought it to them. Therefore, they're not going to watch the privacy issue with you on that. But if it stays with the company that actually did it, they're going to protect you. Exactly. Your privacy is protected. I kind of want to go and do that now. (laughs) All right. Where are we? It's fascinating. Did somebody want to talk about obituaries? I can. I mean, obituaries are just a wealth of information. You can find out their birth date, their death date, their their family members. Uh, you can find out where they lived. Uh, sometimes they even have a bio attached. So you can find out. It's, it's just a wealth of information. We do have a lot of obituaries here, but I assume most people are getting those from microfilm, the local newspaper, wherever they know. Social Security mm-hmm. Index. Right, and also on uh, Find a Grave. Once you get on Ancestry or if you have your tree on Family Search, you get hints. And a lot of those will lead you to their information on Find a Grave, their obituaries. So a lot of times you don't have to search outside the realm of where you have your tree. I mean, we find, our students find, and, and Brenda and I found just a ton of information on both of those sites. Um, I was helping a friend of mine. He didn't know anything about his ancestry, and I didn't have a tree. I had pieces of paper everywhere, but I fell upon just a treasure chest when I looked for someone on Find a Grave. And it, it started with his grandparent. And then it had his father listed, so my friend's great-grandfather. And I went all the way back to his fifth great-grandfather just from looking at Find a Grave. It had pictures of the grave sites. It had bios of every person that, you know, I looked at. So so that's wow. a wealth of information. That doesn't happen all the time. But uh, when it does, it's wonderful. And Find a Grave is through Ancestry or separate from Ancestry? It's separate, but, but they have the it's records. Great. And it's free. But they have the records there. So if you were to create a tree, I guarantee you, you're going to find hints that will be about your great-great-grandfather. And once you start going through those, it just 
builds upon what you already know. It builds a story. You know, you have two dates and a dash. It fills in that dash. It tells you about his life. It all boils down to that tree. Mm-hmm. You know, you start with that tree. tree. It does. And then have either of you, since you've done so much and you know so much family, have you gone on trips? Have you gone to locations where family members came from? Did it spark you to do a little traveling? Yes. I mentioned earlier, I've been to Washington County, Mississippi. That's in the Delta part of Mississippi. I've been there several times. I'm still trying to find a grave site for my great, great, great grandfather. I have the actual obituary from the newspaper that my grandfather passed down. It tells exactly where the, you know, he was buried, but the cemetery's not there. So, you know, we've been there several times. We've gone to courthouses. We've searched for cemeteries. So Yeah, cemeteries do get lost, don't they? They get overgrown. They get moved. Some of them are on private property. You can't right. even access them. Right. And in that area, the Mississippi has flooded oh, yeah. so many times right. that you don't know if it's washed away. So it's it's right. a mystery. I guess that's why it's good now to take pictures. That you, there's no reason not to take a picture now. You have a digital pl- copy forever. A plug for Find a Grave. They're, that is volunteers who have gone out into the communities and found all these cemeteries, old, new, and taken pictures of each tombstone. And then it's been downloaded to Find a Grave. And then if you've got a member on there, Let's say you found your grandfather and he just had his tombstone. You can sign up and become a member for free. And then you could put a bio in there on him and a picture if you had it. Right. So you have these volunteers going out. Um, My husband and I were up in New Jersey last year and his parents are buried on Staten Island and all of his ancestors. So we went out to the cemetery to put flowers on the graves. And while I was there, I'm on billion graves. Uh, I have an app. So backing up a minute, that cemetery has hardly any pictures taken. So I just took picture upon picture upon picture and uploaded it. So what happens is if you're looking for a John Smith that was born in 1790 and he died in 1850, you know, and I just took that picture and uploaded it. That gives, you know, his relative a chance to, to see it. And, uh, so it's, it's great. Uh, so Pam, I want you to tell me a little bit about oral histories. Like, yes. do they exist? And if you do them, where do you put them? Okay. So they do exist. They're hard to search. I was trying to find some the other day and it's difficult, but it's so important to, create your own oral histories, record them. And on Family Search, we use that in the class. Under Memories, you can upload photos, documents, and also audio. So um, you can upload stories. If you have grandparents still alive, great-grandparents, you need to be interviewing them, be recording them. And you can upload them to their page, and um, it'll be preserved forever. And you're hearing their voice tell the story. Yeah, that, right. that's, that's, that's the thing that gives you the chills, right? Yes. Is you're hearing your ancestor tell a story. Tell a story. Right. And I think people feel like if they're being interviewed, they have to have some big story. But really, it can just be their their daily life Absolutely. is interesting. Absolutely. Something as simple as one time the old cow brownie got out. 
and they tell the story. But it's a wonderful story. And you love hearing it because you can just visualize your granddaddy running all over the country looking for brownie. Also, it's their accent. You know, accents are different. They're changing all the time. You know, the older accents are kind of going away. Right. And it's priceless. I mean, that will always be on Family Search. So your children, if you were to upload your great-grandparent telling this story, then your children and their children will be able to always go and listen to that story. And it just brings them to life right before their eyes. Not only, you know, do they have the dates and, you know, all of that and and a picture, but they can hear the voice and the laughter. And so we really, we really kind of push the people in our class if they have aunts or uncles or grandparents still alive to just ask them questions just simple little questions and just record them and and upload them Mm -hmm. because once you start telling a story like that it's going to bring back more memories right right and uh you'll you'll have something that's priceless wow don't we all wish we had that yes what i would give yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i do want to talk about you do have a class here. It's uh, every other Thursday in the morning at the library. It's ongoing. Can you join at any time? I know you have sessions. You have to sign up. I know that. But let's say you missed the first class. Can mm-hmm. you come to oh, subsequent classes? Absolutely. And we have people that do that. And what do you do at the class? Are you covering topics or is it individual instruction? Or uh, We cover topics. So again, we work with Ancestry.com. And we have everyone, uh, they build a tree on Family Search. So usually for our first class, no one has Family Search. So we get everybody to build a tree, start that, and then we just kind of go from there. We cover the basics of Family Search so they know how to add names, they know how to add sources. We cover records. The different kinds of records you can find. Uh, we work with them about keeping everything organized, and because once you start, you have just so many ancestors. And you know, if you start writing on just a little post-it notes your information, you're going to be completely overwhelmed. So, but we um, talk about immigrant ancestors, uh, how to research them, how to dig deeper. If you've hit a brick wall, we help people. So the first part of the class, we have instruction, and we try to save the second part of the class to work you know, one-on-one. The majority of the folks in our class, for instance, are empty nesters, and now they don't have the responsibility of raising children, and they've got time on their hands, and they get interested in the genealogy. But lots of people are on budgets this day and time, and you can't afford to spend a lot of money doing it, and you can spend a lot of money. But if you've got just a computer, you can do genealogy, especially if you've got your local archives and your local library that you can go to to help fill in some of the gaps in your courthouse. Those are places where you can go and get information that you might not have found on the Internet, but it's local and it's not going to cost you. So it's so important to have a library that you can get into that's got what you need to help you do it. Yeah, sometimes I go in there and I pick up a book and I'll just start reading it because it'll be very local it'll be about a local person it'll be local life in whatever era whatever decade and you just 
uh, I feel like I'm not going to get that anywhere else. I see that here. You're not. I mean, and that's, that's the value, I think, of the local libraries. You get the local stories. That's Absolutely. Right. That's right. It's interesting to understand where your ancestor lived and what he might have been going through at that time. Even though you're not really finding your specific ancestor, you're getting but you're getting the the life of yes, your ancestor. You're getting Absolutely. the feel of the times. Right. All right. Well, is there anything else that you guys want to add that you'd like to talk about? We just think it's a great thing to do, and you better get ready because these folks start living with you. But you get to know them. <laughs> They're in your head, right? You love them, and you right. appreciate so much what they went through, so you could be here today. Right. All right. I just want to thank you. We've gotten so much information, and I appreciate it. So everybody out there, uh, come to our genealogy class on Thursdays that you do have to register. It's on our website. So uh, with that, I just want to thank you both for being here today. You're welcome. All right. Thank you for having us. We'll see you next time on Between the Stacks. You've been listening to Between the Stacks, a podcast from the Athens-Limestone County Public Library. To hear other recordings from our Library Voices podcast series, check out our website at alcpl.org. Library Voices is also now available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.